right, we'll begin with a prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for another day of your grace and mercy. We thank you for sending your son uh, to be our savior and to do it in such a way that he would be an example for us who would follow after him. Uh, not only resting our assurance in his love and the forgiveness he won for us and that we are children of God through him, through your wonderful work, uh, we, but also that he, he was willing to suffer and what great blessing came from that. And so as you ask us to suffer and to carry our crosses, you bring a blessing to us and to Christendom. Uh, help us to see that and to bear up underneath what you would have us carry. In Jesus' name, amen. So lesson eight of eight today, First Peter chapter five. We get to cover a whole chapter. First couple lessons, really just setting the groundwork for, uh, for the letter, Peter's first letter. Um, but now we're really flying and we're really... It's neat to see at the end of these letters how everything comes together. All the different points that, you know, the apostle was talking about coming together in one chapter and that we're able to, to grapple with these things and just go away with great comfort and great peace, uh, knowing that even in suffering, our God is in control. Uh, we are chosen, uh, children of God, and we can go with that great comfort. Just remember, he starts it out to God's elect. He's going to mention that again in the last chapter. Exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. So, you know, these, this uh, Asia, Europe, you know, just kind of this great mix of, of congregations over Asia Minor and, and going then uh, further, further eastward. You just... Uh, Exiles because of persecution. Exiles because of their Christian faith in a pagan world. Jerusalem Council is 50 AD. The church is, is growing further and further, uh, growing larger and larger in spite of persecution and in spite of inner turmoil, in spite of people trying to take people back from the freedom of the gospel, back into the, the trying to earn salvation by the law which some had mistakenly concluded with, with God's law. Uh, Nero takes the reins of the Roman Empire and persecutions break out. The fall of Jerusalem will be coming in a few short years in 70 AD. We think that from all that we can gather and historically and from the travels of the apostles and all the different hints and, and notes left in God's word that, that Peter probably wrote about 63 AD, his first letter. And then his second letter shortly thereafter, and then shortly after that, setting his earthly temple aside and being martyred for the faith at the hands of the, the Romans. So uh, 63 AD, in the midst of these persecutions, and further persecutions would come to God's people, especially in those congregations in Asia Minor over the next decades. Just a reminder of those first few verses, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, you know, God set you apart. The Holy Spirit set you apart to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, that you have faith in your heart to follow, that you are sprinkled by the blood of Jesus, washed clean. And he's going to say something. I mentioned this almost every class, alert and fully sober. Now we live, you know, the sanctified life. And he's going to go back to that. He's going to talk about being alert and fully sober um, in chapter five as well. First Peter chapter five. You know, live a godly life in your paying in society. And he keeps on moving. Uh, the Table of Duties, chapters 2, chapters 3. I'll just briefly note Professor Geiger's, you know, format of Peter's letter. First of all, praise God for, for who he's, what he's done, what he's made you. Live a Christian holy life. Three, understand that your life is observed and use it as a tool to achieve your ultimate goal, that others would glorify God, especially in times of persecution especially in times of difficulty where the, the differences are really apparent between a Christian and an unbeliever or a Christian and a pagan. You know, times of persecution really shine a light on that. Times of difficulty, such as a pandemic or political turmoil or anything on social media, you go, great divisions are being made. And then also just to simply live that quiet Christian life in the midst of all this turmoil really stands out. And also the way we live our lives in the different roles that God has given us. 
whether you are male or female, whether you are master or slave, whether you are, you know, just all these differences. And you can, in all these different roles that God gives you, you can live and stand out. And in that context, don't fear suffering. Understand that for the Christian, suffering is much better than the alternative. And realize you're okay, even though you are suffering. And Peter's wish or Peter's prayer for us is that we know that God will strengthen us, make us firm. He will, he will strengthen the, the foundation underneath us. He'll, he'll gird us up with, with extra boards and, and help uh, when, we're, when we feel like buckling. All right. Uh, Peter talks about in the last few verses of chapter 4, for the time has come for judgment to begin with the household of God. Now, if it begins with us, what well, will it be the end for those who disobey the gospel of God? Lines are being drawn. We know that the last day is coming soon. And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, where will the ungodly sinner end up? So let those who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to their faithful creator while doing what is good. Psalm 73, uh, we just, we read, you know, the psalmist just overcome with how easy life seems for those who are pagan, who don't do the will of God, and how difficult it is, how hard it is, how hurting it is for the believer who tries to follow in the path of God. And then finally, you know, he says, my foot had almost slipped when I was going down that mental path. And then, but to realize I went into the house of the Lord and I realized our destinies and their destiny and, and where they were headed. And he comes out with those beautiful verses, which are the memory treasure for our confirmation students in our Lutheran elementary school. Psalm 73, verse 25, Whom have I in heaven but you, and earth has nothing I desire besides you. You know, we rest our hearts in that. We know who it is we follow, and we know that we belong to him. And so we entrust him with, with each and everything that we need for each day. So we'll begin with chapter 5, verse 1. To the elders, and I'll, the first half, I think, is in the NIV, uh, International Version, 2011. Second half, I just switched over to the, the uh, Evangelical Heritage Version. Uh, the, use whatever version you have in front of you. If you notice any differences, feel free to point them out, and we'll handle them as best we're able. If I don't know, we'll just say, I don't know. That'll be saved for the next time we go through First Peter or uh, a different time. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. You know, some different, you know, sometimes he refers to as a shepherd. Um, he's going to re refer to shepherding, uh, overseeing, uh, elder, presbyterus. You know, some churches call their pastors elders. Uh, we see this, this as people talking to the leaders, the, the pastors, the, the people overseen, serving as shepherds in a congregation. So to the elders among you, all these different congregations that are going to receive this letter, I appeal as a fellow elder, you know, he's an overseer, he's an apostle, and a witness, a mart martyr, uh, a witness, one who has seen Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. He knows what the end game is, that he'll be in heaven, that we'll be in heaven, and he's a fellow sharer of that. He's already talked about being sharers in the suffering. We're also sharers in the glory to be revealed. How is a spiritual shepherd important in times of persecution or difficulty? You have some place to go for help. You know, when do kids return from playing during the summer? You know, I don't know. In, more and more as the world becomes increasingly ungodly and there are a lot more pitfalls, you know, trust everybody in the neighborhood. But back in the day, and sometimes in New Orleans still you can do this, when you send the kids out the door in the morning, be back for dinner, right? And that sometimes is the only thing that would bring them back. I and mean, we have our 10 o'clock whistle in New Orleans, but, uh, you know, really the only times they came back was to eat or if what happened? Someone got hurt, you know, Johnny got hurt or whatever, you know, and he, he hurt his leg or he fell off the, the jungle gym or whatever. Um, then they came running back. So also when 9-11 hit, I wasn't in New Orleans, but what happened in this church and in many churches? People came back. They realized their great need for this. They realized they were searching, many of them. 
you know, suddenly Sunday attendance was up through the roof or special services were held or a prayer service because very difficult times were at hand. That's exactly what's happening now. People are migrating from the city. Uh, I know up in north, up north in northern Wisconsin, they, you know, or the consensus is that in the school districts, there's like 100 new students and 145 in another district right Right up, way up north in the boondies where, you know, there was very few. Now it's people are fleeing from the cities to the countryside. And that's not uncommon for plagues, right? Um, and, you know, in, in Europe, you know, Luther talks about, uh, is it right? Uh, I just shared this paper. Um, you can find it online, I think, if you want a copy of it. Let me know. I can print you off a copy. Um, someone made a recent translation of Luther's letter to Christians who are asking, what can the Christian in good conscience flee during an epidemic, during a pandemic? You know, as these waves of plague came through Europe in Luther's day, every year sometimes. And he wrote a, a wonderful little treatise about the things that you should consider, also how we deal in love with our neighbor, um, and can we in good conscience flee? One of the things that became very notable during the plagues in the Roman era were and where Christians stood out is while rich and wealthy Romans left their relatives to die who had become infected with the plague to save their own skin. They gathered up as much as they could and they fled to the countryside. They fled to the, 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 the fields and the farmland and wherever, you know, their country homes or, or whatever else to get away from the plague. And who were the ones that took care of their dying relatives? The Christians. And what a testimony to the rest of the world. You know, and, and even today, this is a unique opportunity for us. Some people mock and say, oh, those Christians are the problem because they're not afraid to die. And so they're playing fast and loose with this. No, I don't think we are. You're all wearing masks or, or, or almost wearing masks. We have our reasons for not wearing masks and we are not allowed to ask. And that's okay. And also when you're at certain tables and things, you don't have to. Um, so, but generally we're taking great precautions. We're washing our hands more. We're dealing in love with our neighbor. Um, and you see that, that Christians have an opportunity once again to stand out and to do these things in love. And you think of this passage to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings. Our churches, our shepherds, our leaders, we have a great opportunity now too. Because people are having open hearts to hear about this. They're having questions, they're having concerns, and they can go and actually go to someone and hear the wonderful news of our Savior Jesus. And I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. In what way is Pastor Sharp considered an elder? I'm older than all of you. That could be true, and that might be true. So training, training. So one of the leaders in the church, you know, that, that you've called me to do this and you didn't just call me out of the blue. Um, there were some certain things, qualifications that had to be met um, and by God's grace met uh, that, uh, that I was approved, a workman approved, you know, that, that where did I go for training? Did I just kind of just say, hey, I'm gonna be a pastor. And I just jump into it, you know, because that happens. There are, like that. there are people like that. And that's not necessarily, not necessarily wrong in every case. Wise, unwise could be talked about there, definitely. But you say, you know, you want certain training. So I had to go through certain training. I had to have certain, you know, the, the, the people we put the doctrinal integrity of our synod in the hands of to kind of be, you know, safeguarders of it, you know, and to make sure that everything's done. You know, the Conference of Presidents had to sign off that I was that I was uh, able to be called. Um, you requested a, a call list, whether my name happened upon that list or someone requested that. It works many different ways, but I, that had to be approved by the district president or the, the presidium. And so, you know, these are things that um, an elder, yeah, like that I've been trained. I've been, um, you know, sometimes it has to do Experience is a wonderful blessing, so some experience behind there. 
Why is it important to you that Peter witnessed Christ's sufferings and that he is a co he is a co-share in glory? Peter witnessed Christ's sufferings. Well, it seems that he's a, um, a person who has proper knowledge of what happened. Yeah, he saw it with his own eyes. Isn't it nice to have eyewitness testimony? You know, what happened? You know, and you ask a, a child who you don't know what's going on, or they can't talk, or they can't, or they're not talking. Isn't it nice to have a bunch of kids around them? They're like, oh, Johnny did this to, to, to Bobby, you know, and you go, oh, there were eyewitnesses, and they're they more than willing to share exactly what happened and exactly what they saw. Um, yeah, or if somebody's hurt, you know, and like knocked out. You know, Johnny fell from the, the thing. Okay, so you got the wind knocked out of him. Or maybe he hit his head, and, and then you can piece it together. And so also, he witnessed. He was an eyewitness of Christ's sufferings. Why is it especially interesting, as we talk about sufferings, that it's the Apostle Peter? What did he think about Jesus' sufferings? Did he, did he agree that Jesus should suffer? He was on the other side of the fence. Yeah, probably when Jesus looked at him. Or even still, as he hid in that room for fear of the Jews. And then finally, you know, go tell the disciples and Peter. Or it's no mistake that Jesus had to go to him multiple times and say, you know, Peter, do you love me? You know, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? You know, feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? You know, three times he asks. Did you have a comment? Okay. Didn't want to overlook if we had a, if we had a hand raised. Um, he was an eyewitness. This didn't happen. This didn't happen in a closed room. This wasn't a, an angelic appearance to one person, and that now our whole everything is founded on you know one person's testimony. No one else saw it. Jesus was crucified before the eyes of everyone, according to the scriptures. You know, Jesus rose from the grave according to the scriptures, you know, and was seen by 500 of the brothers at one time, Paul says. So a wonderful blessing that we have eyewitness testimony. And he, he saw the outcome, too, of what the suffering was. Is this a few, fitting funeral text, this verses 1 through 7? Uh, I've, I myself have preached on this for two funerals. Schultz was principal at MBL, um, and Tekla, his wife, now she's living in Wisconsin. Or, or no, she's up by the cities. Um, is she up by the cities? Plymouth. Plymouth, yeah. And, and then um, Lucille Giese, who is 98 years old, passed away a, a year or two ago. But um, ladies' aid, big in the ladies' aid here, and she and her husband, Don. But uh, she went home to heaven. Here. But I got to preach on this for that. So just keep that in mind as we're thinking about this. Um, be shepherds of God's flock. There it is, that idea of shepherding. That is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. How is a shepherd's success measured? In how comfortable he is, or in how well the sheep are doing? How well the sheep are doing. Yeah, where's the focus? Is it on the shepherd? Is it all about me? I mean, the, the congregation is a wonderful... Uh, uh, Pastor Jeske said it in... Uh, People's Bible commentary that the, the congregation has a solemn privilege and obligation to provide for the needs of their workers, and their workers have the solemn um, privilege and obligation uh, to not be focused on the compensation. And that. so it's just this wonderful taking care of and also serving. But really, the, the measure is how are the sheep doing? Whose flock is it? God's flock. You know, it's not my flock, it's God's flock. I mean, a pastor can or a teacher can say that, like, this is my little flock. Or, but really, it's, we're simply under shepherds. Uh, how is the ministry today different from the Aaronic priesthood? A lot more resources for reaching people. Shepherd to the flock, as, as compared to the priest, 
Priests were set apart, although you did have Levitical cities and you did have fields and stuff. And I've enjoyed listening to Pastor Smith talk about priesthood and different things when he went through Leviticus and his devotional series, just about the life of the priest. You know, that they would have been maybe more among the people than I had realized, but still set apart. You know, and, and also, Elaine, you're, get, you're touching on something. Who could serve as a priest? Only the Levites. Only the Levites descended from Aaron, right? And did you have an option? No. If, you, if your dad was high priest, well, you're going to be a priest. You know, unless you had something that disqualified you from it. But, yeah, you, it had to be in the family line. So what's different today? That's not all that different. <laughs> Sometimes when you look at it from the outside. Yeah, Dan? Yeah, so it's not so inward focused. It's more of go out and share with the world, people who aren't like you, people... Cross-cultural, learning culture, learning foreign language. Diane? So we know that um, some non-Jews became part of their entourage. How did that happen? Did they bring a thousand, or did the Jews actually try and quote-unquote recruit? Well, I will make you a light uh, for the Gentiles. You know, you have these, these prophecies about that the Jews would be, I will make people who did not know you, flocked to you. You know, so this is the... they came in because they wanted to be part of the Jewish nation, not so much the Jewish nation tried to bring people in. Uh, Naaman. Naaman and, was it? Elisha. You know, Naaman had what problem? Leprosy. And he was... He was in desperation. He's, he's the high, you know, most respected military commander. He is the king's ear. He's the king's go-to guy, and he's got leprosy. And whether you were a Jew or not, leprosy was bad. And nobody wanted to be around you, and you had to really watch out. And this could be very difficult for the rest of your life, or take your life in a sense. So nobody could heal him up north, but he heard there was a prophet in you know, Israel. Who told him that? Servant girl. Isn't it funny? All these different ways that people were brought into the kingdom and came to Israel. A servant girl who had been stolen, kidnapped by a raiding party, and then she was taken and she was serving Naaman's wife or whatever, and here she's the one who says, there's a prophet in Israel who can help you. And, you know, even when the king was apostate and saying, you know, he's picking a fight with me that he's asking to go meet with the, the you know, the prophet. And then, no. So he goes to the prophet and um, he's healed. And then he he realizes this is the true God. And different stories like that, different touches throughout, very many similarities with Elisha's ministry and also Jesus' ministry. So Teddy asked me about that last night. He said, now, wasn't there a story in the Old Testament about you know somebody touching bones and coming alive again? Do you remember that? After Elisha had died and his, you know, Elijah got taken up in a whirlwind, but Elisha was buried, you know, in a tomb, obviously, and people knew where that tomb was and Maybe somebody from his family had died, you know, years later. And so, you know, they're going to put a new body in the tomb and they're, they're carrying the body out there and they've got the stone rolled away or whatever thing they had blocking it. And a, a raiding band of, you know, people coming to cause trouble, kill them or whatever. So they took the body, you know, this was not, you know, you know, usually they took very good care of their dead, but threw the body in to the tomb and they were going to head out and run. And then the body touched Elisha's bones, so he'd already decayed and his bones were left. And the body came back to life. You know, the person came back to life. You know, just kind of kind of amazing, you know. Um, a miracle. But these are the things that cause people to, to come to faith. You know, the Queen of Sheba heard of Solomon's riches and came and was, you know, just amazed by all the things she saw. And then years later, where do we hear... Um, of someone reading the Old Testament who was the CFO of Ethiopia. 
Yeah, Philip, Philip meets him on the road. You know, so like all these little things, like people were drawn to. Oh, like Rahab. Rahab, yeah, Rahab in, in uh, Jericho. Uh, or you think uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, how many times did he get confronted with the fact that there's only one God, and it's the God of the Jews? You know, how many people did God turn their hearts to believe? And there were a lot allowances made in the Old Testament law at the time of Moses for the the person who would not be of the Jewish background, but would be, you know, or for the slave, or for the, you know, sometimes it was a slave that was brought in. You know, they lost in war, and now they're going to be a slave to the Jews. Um, and they were, their allotments were made for them to come near the temple. Not in the temple courts, maybe, but near the temple. Good discussion. The, the thing I'll stick it with, uh, we don't have, you know, just because my dad was a pastor doesn't mean I have to be a pastor. You know, my great-grandpa was a farmer. And, you know, then his son became a pastor. One of his sons became a pastor. I was going to say one of them was a pastor, though. Yeah, one of them became a pastor. Um, you know, the other ones uh, took over the farm. The other ones went into military. Um, Richmond Sharp is my second cousin. You know, he went into ministry after going into the military um, service, but, you know, just it's different now. So this is not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. You know, why do people get into You know, Luther would kind of rail on this, that people would be forced into monasteries or convents, you know, in so many different ways, or made to take ungodly oaths or vows that they shouldn't have been, been made to take, um, but eager to serve. Five verse three, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Matthew 20, verse 25 to 26. You know, we just, uh, we just talked about this Sunday's gospel was the parable of the parable of the workers in the vineyard. You know, don't be all about, you know, this, that, fair, unfair. I'll leave it, leave rewards of grace and God's grace to him. Um, God is not fair, God is generous, was our theme. But shortly after that, you know, um, you know, let me, you know, let my son sit on your right and left when you come into your kingdom or when you set up your thrones, James and John's mom said. Um, but Jesus talked to them and they were, they were, the other disciples were indignant, you know, who's going to be the greatest and whatever. And he says, the leaders of the Gentiles lord it over their subjects. Not so with you. Whoever wants to be greatest among you must be the slave or the servant of all. Um, wow, so different. So not lording it over those entrusted you, but being examples to the flock. What is the privilege of being in a position of authority? You get to make decisions. Some people like that. Some people hate making decisions. But you know, do you remember if you had siblings? You know, the first time you got to be in charge. Yeah, yeah, you get to you get to be the leader, you get to apply what is right. Set an example. How is one to use this position of authority or power? Yeah. Yeah, someone said if you're thinking about yourself all the time, it's really difficult to think of other people. You know, so as a leader, as someone in a position of authority, whether it's in your house, over your children, over your family, over, you know, in society, wherever you find yourself, you, we use it to serve. We use it to, to help our neighbor. Uh, why was Sunday's gospel fitting here also, Jesus' parable of workers in the vineyard? What was he steering his disciples away from? Being so concerned about... Leader, yeah, what was fair or, you know, what yeah. I get compensated or... And the leader did direct them to the fact that he's in charge. Yeah, yeah, that God is the landowner and we follow him. And if we have authority, we use it in a similar fashion. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. When will this happen? When you die, when you die or more, more importantly, as Peter's... When the world ends, when the Lord when the Lord returns. What is the relationship of shepherds to the chief? Especially when we have the temptation to lord it over other people. What was it? There are equal grounds, but they're just as valuable. To the chief shepherd though. Like what's my relationship to the chief shepherd? 
submission. Yeah, but, but it's not my flock. It's not my. It's not about me. It's about him and about leading people to him. Now, when the chief shepherd appears. Yeah, you have to get. Thank you. I thought you were going to say it. You have to give account for the flock. You know, how are the sheep doing? Not how did you make your way, but how are the sheep doing? Um, and and that would be our focus then, as under shepherds, um, that the chief shepherd will appear, and he will. He has concern for not only for you but for the whole flock. And how how did they do? What should we think about the crown of glory that will never fade away? Yeah, yeah. We look forward to it. You know, I talked about is this a fitting is this a fitting uh, funeral text? Yeah, it is a funeral text. Peter's talking about suffering. Peter's talking about the Lord is coming soon. Um, so you know, yeah, Mr. Schultz and Miss Geezy, you know, this was a good text for them. You know, the crown of glory that will never fade away. Another gift of God's grace to us. You know, he's Peter's addressing everybody that might be involved. Where do our thoughts go next? You know, likewise, young men, be submissive to those who are older. And all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You know, Philippians 2 or 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vacancy, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. You know, think more of others than about yourself. What did Peter do when Jesus tied the servant's towel around himself? Yeah, you can't do that. You know, you're our rabbi. You're our leader. You're the Messiah. You just marched into Jerusalem. And now you're tying a servant's robe around yourself, and you're going to touch our feet? But here Peter is saying, you know, clothe yourselves with humility toward one had Peter learned a few things? Yeah. What is the trouble with insubordination at home? What's the trouble with insubordination at home? Nobody's happy. Well put. Nobody's happy. You know, uh, Mr. Stellius, when when little Rossi was 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 causing trouble. I mean, did that, you know, did that, Rachel, did that make things go smoothly in the home? No. Trouble free, trouble free. God blesses us with, you know, that we forget many, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we'll, have to, we'll have to tell Ross that, is that some trouble free. Um, but you think about that when, when we don't listen to our parents, does that make life easy for them? Does that make things go smoothly at home? Does more get done, more get accomplished, or or more peace? No. Um, what happens when there's insubordination in the church? Yeah, I, I had a buddy who got to his first parish, and you know, pretty pretty self assured young man. I mean, he wasn't a, a nice young man. You know, good friend of mine. And one of the first council meetings, you know, a council member came up and said, "I don't have to respect you." You know, because you're so young. I'm like, I think there's a scripture verse that has something to say about that. But just just kind of flew in the face. Like, I don't have to respect you. And I don't know what he was trying to prove or what point he was trying to make. You know, maybe respect is earned. You know. Yeah. But just, just uh, that doesn't make things easy. That doesn't make things smooth. Makes it difficult. And, and you know, what did that do to my friend? I, he'll never forget that conversation. I bet you that. You know, and just how that shocked him, you know, right away in the beginning of his ministry that, you know, does that make a person feel supported? Does that make a person, you know, there's a way to, to ask a question. There's a way to question if something is, and people should, if there's false doctrine or whatever else, or if there's a wiser course, but to simply go up and I don't respect you. I don't have to respect you. Um, or to go in and yell at your father or your mother. And there were times that many of us have done that. Um, yeah, he was just out of the seminary. It's called that place. Yeah, or I don't, I don't know. You know, there are many ways to take that, and not a lot of good ways to take it. But you know, there. Hopefully, by the end, he he learned learned. You know, there's a better way to handle that. Um, insubordination at work. 
You get fired because what's the whole point of going to work for someone? That you're going to do what they want. They're paying you to do what they want. To, to be on that line and to put the product together, to, to go out and meet with people or to go out and do whatever the task is at hand. Nothing is beneath you, you know? Um, will your humility toward leaders send a message to those around you? How you talk about the president, the governor, you know? I mean, and who's listening? Kids? You know, if you have them, grandkids, you know, it just, uh, there's a way to talk about issues and about things that you don't agree with while still giving great respect to those who deserve our respect. You as a Christian can stand out in the way you have those conversations with your friends, with your neighbors, you know, and they might be very, you see a polarization in our country that Christians do well to stay away from. Um, and just because there are there are religious Christian groups that see the way to a godly kingdom or the kingdom of God as through politics. And it's a very scary thing. And the temptation for us who know otherwise is to be drawn into that and think that the hopes and dreams of Christendom ride on a political leader. There are some things that we can do in wisdom or in, in unwise ways, but in, in wisdom to say, well, I like this leader because I think this is important to me. But we also as Christians have to appreciate and respect our fellow Christian who sees it the exact opposite way. But they're both applying, applying what's very true and what never changes our Savior and his word to that situation at hand and to treat them with gentleness and respect, whoever they might be. So, you know, because right now the world is seeing none of that. But we can stand up and be, and be witnesses a better way of doing things. And it's also a call for us to repent too when we haven't. You know, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And he's gonna, go, he's gonna speak more on that. Therefore humble yourselves under God's powerful hand so that he may lift you up at the appointed time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Humbling yourselves is never easy, is it? We don't naturally want to do that. We don't, we think that we're going to be sitting ducks. We think that, you know, we'll lose something and we might lose something. The world, the world treasures, you know, insubordination, it seems. When a young man stands up and shakes his fist at authority, it's almost like people cheer rather than saying there's a better way or a more peaceable way. Um, and maybe that's what we're seeing with, with the rise in riots and insubordination. You know, we don't want to stay, we don't want to allow evil to stand, but there are good and godly ways to deal with that, not destroying someone's property or harming someone that we disagree with. So Peter says, therefore, humble yourselves under God's powerful hand. Why is that a comfort? God's powerful hand. He's still in charge. Are you a sitting duck? Maybe the world thinks you are. Maybe sometimes you feel like you are, but are you a sitting duck as a Christian? Never. Never because the one who holds all the power, the one who created this world, is the one who is with you. You know, it's like, was it the prophet who, who said to the, the one who was afraid because they saw all the armies camped out surrounding the city, and he said, Lord, Lord, allow him to see. There are many more with us than are with them. And then they were able to see the angels and the chariots surrounding all of them. Um, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's powerful hand, so that he may lift you up at the appointed time. Yeah, we will be down. We will suffer. We will have hardship. We will have to go through these scary times and, and maybe even suffer personal loss for being Christians, whether that's reputation or financial or, or time or loss of life or whatever it might be. He, may lift, he will lift you up at the appointed time. God has set a limit for all of these different things. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. This was a text for my installation. 
It's also in the installation ordination rite for a pastor. These verses are in there. Why is this a great section for those who will undergo difficult tasks or times and persecution? Remember whose world you're in and that you serve that one. And what's the promise here? You're not alone, Al. He cares for you. He makes it a point. He, it is a care to him. It's kind of a neat phrase. It, this is a care to him. You are a care to him. How people treat you is a care to him. The powerful God we serve. It's a care to him how people treat you. What is... Oh, go ahead. Him. If he's going to lift us up, he's also going to give us strength and strength to walk. Yeah, he'll be behind us telling us to go to the right or to the left. Yeah, cast all your anxiety in him. Because does it, it's an anxiety feeling to, to take the humble road rather than the road that this world is used to. Is it anxiety-filled to, to feel like you're a sitting duck? What's going to happen to me if I stand up for the truth? What's going to happen to me if I say this appropriate word at the appropriate time? But cast it all on him because it is a concern to him. You are a concern to him. What is a prayer a sign of? Trust. Need. Yeah. Yeah. We have someone we follow. We're not the we're not the be all end all. We're not the measure of all things. I'm not the master and commander of my life. I can certainly ruin my life, which got to stop me from doing many a time and brought me back from many a time. But um, prayer is a sign of trust, uh, need that we recognize our need and that He's greater than us of of, of submission, um, relationship that we can go to Him. You know what do we call Him? We call Him. Our Father. Two beautiful things. One, that he is our Father and wants to be approached that way that we can, like, we go to Dad. If we have a good Dad, that we can just go to Dad. He loves to hear from us. And two, that it's our Father, which Peter's going to touch on, that we're not alone in this. He cares for you. How does this solve everything? We talked about this. The Almighty Creator cares about what happens to us, and he cares about us. And so that dispels the anxiety. And if we have that, we give it to him. We cast it all on him. Kind of like... Uh, you know, maybe like we're good delegators. The worry, the anxiety, the thing, you know, the crushing, the crushing fear that we have at time to time. Jesus says, I'll take that. I'll take that. You know, like you're in a group, you're doing group work. Whatever, what always happens with group work? One person ends up doing most of it, usually. Especially the first times you do group work. The ambitious one, the one who's like responsible. And then you got the two people joking around the corner or whatever. Finally, Jesus is the one who says, cast all your anxiety on me because I care for you. Have sound judgment. Be alert. Your adversary, not your friend, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him by being firm in the faith. You know that the same kind of sufferings are being laid on your brotherhood all over the world. You know, you're in good company. This is a, you know, we talked about this as we warmed up for this class today that, uh, you know, He's repeating a lot of things he's already said and kind of bringing it all together. Be sober and alert, just like he said in one thirteen, just like he said in 4 verse 7. You know, and one person said, this is a balance in disposition. You know, how you're wired, thought, how you think about things, action, how you, how you respond to things. Not carried away by notions of our own or others. You know, oh, we've got to do this or we've got to do that. Um, what is the reason here to be alert? The devil doesn't take naps. Devil doesn't take naps. He's always at it. You know, he's always he's been uh, he's been at this for thousands of years. And the more godly you're living, the more of a witness you are, the bigger target you are as well. Which Jesus says, "Don't be afraid of. Cast that anxiety on me." Is the devil a formidable opponent? Way stronger than me. 
way stronger than you, Dan. Well said, well said, that we don't even realize what's going on half the time, that we're in this spiritual struggle or what their struggle is really all about. And that's not until days later, sometimes a lot longer than that, that we realize that was the devil trying to get at me and this is the way he was going about it. That crafty fellow. Yeah. How does the devil, or how did the devil roar in Peter's day? All the persecution. All the persecution that was going on. You know? Just leave the faith. Just be lax in your faith. Don't show your faith and you'll get by. You'll keep your property. You won't suffer as much. You might keep your life. Save your skin. But at what cost? How is the devil roar today? Fear-mongering, right? Be quiet about your faith. Be quiet about your principles, especially in this political climate. Be quiet about... You know, what, no matter what political party you side with. Um, They're supposed to be more tolerant. Yeah, be tolerant, not just in the sense that, you know, I'll live at peace with you, but tolerant in the sense of true, you know, tolerance in the American definition seems to be more and more um, PC to say you're really accepting and celebrating whatever anybody's throwing at you. Which, yeah, and if you don't, watch out. Hate speech, watch out. You'll have questions. Watch out. People won't want anything else you say. Um, yeah, all those threats. All these threats. Damn. Yeah, a, a, an institution that claims to be religious, even Christian, flunks someone for quoting the Bible. You know, and possibly quoting it in the correct context. Um, but that's that's how the devil, you know, your grade depends on it. I walk into a, you know, sit in a class as he had entered a public university. And not every public university, not every class is like this. But this was his experience. And the professor comes in, flips the class, the bird, so the obscene gesture, and then says, if you're a Christian, you're an idiot. And then a few people raised their hand, and he said, oh, I'm not taking questions. we got to get going and stuff. But it was, it was intro to film was the class. So, you know, but the professor felt the need in one of the first days of class to state this. And I just thought, you know, does the devil roar? Yeah. And he's not our friend. Diabolus, or the, the word for devil there, one who engages in slander. So trust God versus the devil's threats and temptations. And then, you know, as we suffer, as we struggle, Peter says, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, will himself, and this is what Dan was talking about, will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you a little while in comparison to what? Yeah. And in God's mind, he sets a perfect limit to what he allows the suffering to happen to you, to what he allows the devil to, to tempt you. You know, the story of Job is we learn so much from that. Not just about suffering, but about what was God doing? You know, these other things in Job's life, you know, they were, for the most part, you know, they could be replaced. You know, the children, they would go on. You know, the believers, they would be in heaven. But, you know, all that other stuff, the camels, the riches, the fame and fortune, 
that he had, that could all be replaced. You know, God said, first, don't lay a hand on him. Okay, and the devil said, wow, he still praised you. But if you laid a hand on him, then, you know, and then God said, okay, you can lay a hand on him, but don't take his life. And the devil did awful things. But at the end of that, even though Job didn't get the reason he was looking for, he simply had to trust the Lord. And then the Lord gave him double. The Lord gave him fame, honor, fortune, ten more children, right, in addition to the ten that he had waiting for him. You know, a little while. doesn't feel like a little while. What is the comfort from God here? He's in control. How does Peter refer to him? The God of all grace. Yeah. And he's going to restore you, establish, strengthen, support you. Um, he's called you. A reminder again of your secure status. Peter writes this. He had learned. You know, Peter who was afraid of suffering. Peter who was afraid of people looking down on him. And all those twists and turns in his ministry. Even when the Apostle Paul had to confront him um, because he, was, he started neglecting the the Gentile Christians for the Jewish Christians, more comfortable with them. Um, you know, we had learned God comes to bulk us up, more boards. You know, if the if it you know if the weight on the floor is too much, he gets under there and he he posts it up with more boards. Um, he so the words there, someone you know looked at those four words and they said it really means to straighten, to stiffen, so you don't bend and buckle, to be strong, you know, girds us up, and then to be solid, to have that solid foundation. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. You know, Peter just breaks out in these doxologies. He did it once already, now he does it again. So his might, his power forever and ever. What a comfort to us during these times. Peter, who was dealing with suffering Christians, Peter, who was suffering or would be suffering and they knew what was coming, he says, to him be the glory and the power forever and ever. As strong as the devil looks, as loud as he roars, our God is more powerful. He writes, I've written you briefly through Silas, whom I consider a faithful brother, to encourage you and to testify that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Silas, what do you know about Silas? He's called an apostle. He was, what did you say with Paul? Excuse me. You. Excuse me, thank you. Um, Silas, you know, Paul, who did he go on his first mission journey with? Paul and Barnabas. And they also brought along John Mark or Mark. And then when he was getting geared up to go on the second mission journey, Barnabas wanted to take along John Mark, who had deserted during the first mission journey, and Paul said, absolutely not. They parted as fellow co-workers in Christ, but they weren't going to go on the same journey because Barnabas was going to take John and Paul took Silas. And then uh, we hear him spoken about, you know, Acts 15, 1 Thessalonians 2, and here again with Peter. So this, you know, Silas was becoming more and more this um, very prominent missionary and, and servant. Uh, what does this mean? I've written to you briefly through Silas. Is that he del Silas delivered it, carried it to these churches, or made sure it got out? Did Silas, was he the, the scribe? Kind of like Jeremiah had, Prophet Jeremiah had Baruch, you know, who'd write things down. Um, we don't know exactly what that means, but it could be either of those, and that's fine. To encourage you and to testify that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. He's been giving you this over and over. Um, Christ suffered for us. You are chosen. Uh, your faith of greater worth than gold. All these different things. She who is in Babylon, who is chosen along with you, greets you. So does Mark, my son. So there Mark comes again, too. So she, in Babylon, chosen along with you, most likely indicates a church rather than an actual woman, and Babylon was the nickname for the hostile nation persecuting them from Rome. Uh, you know, our sister congregation, we still speak like this today, and maybe this is where that comes from. Um, who was chosen along with you greets you. Uh, she who is in Babylon. So another follow fellow congregation also chosen by God, greets you. So does Mark, my son. Mark was that one on the first mission journey, fell away, 
um, then he becomes not only a trusted assistant, even my son to Peter, but also assistant to Paul. Uh, Mark, the gospel of Mark, you know, Peter remembered all these things. The Holy Spirit, uh, you know, was with him to help him remember these things that had happened. And Mark was, we think, you know, from all these things that we hear, that he was the, you know, he traveled along with Peter and heard his preaching. And also that's what the gospel comes from. It's really Peter's gospel, but Mark, gospel of Mark. And Rome, uh, Babylon. You know, Babylon to the Old Testament Jews was the most scary opponent and the one who was going to mete out awful difficulties upon them and did for so long. And so Rome took that, that moniker, that, that nickname of Babylon. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ Jesus. People's Bible tells us it was just that kind of open caring that early converts found so appealing. And that even today, as a mark of growing churches, these people really do care about one another. How do we do this during COVID? You know, greet another with the elbow bump of love. You know, how did Peter do this during Rome's persecution? As he was distanced from them. Yeah, he wrote a letter. Whatever means you have at your disposal to, to, to share and strengthen the brotherhood, sisterhood in Christ, Feel free to use that. You know, if it's a letter to a fellow brother, sister in Christ you haven't seen in a while, if it's a phone call, if it's a prayer, if whatever it is, let them know you're thinking about them. Uh, on my on my uh, bank statement, you know, out of the withdrawals, there are a lot of two dollar charges. I'm like, what are these two dollar charges? Well, they're cards that you can send. You just upload a picture. You can do it from your phone. Upload a picture, put a Bible passage or a message, and then kind of in a nice little print on the front. And then on the back, you can have a message printed, and then you address it, and then they send it for you. So they print a picture in a postcard format, and then there's a message on the back, and then they address it and send it. So two bucks, not bad. No, through the mail. So you go online and say you want to, you know, um, send a letter. You want to send a postcard to me, a postcard of encouragement. So you just upload a picture, you know, of church or whatever, a picture you took or a picture of us or something. And you put a little like thinking of you or God bless you. And then a little passage on the back or a message, you know, that would fit on a postcard in type. And then they address it and they send it out in the mail and you get it. Or I would get it then. I'll tell you after, after the, uh, the podcast. But, uh, you know, just use what's at your disposal. Use what's at your disposal. And, uh, you know, so my wife uses that to encourage family members and things like that and send those out. So, yes. You can send one to Aaron Rodgers. But you, I think you have to upload his address. I don't know his address. Yeah. Write him a little encouragement card. You know, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for looking for someone to devour. And especially people who are in that limelight, and then they, you know, they're tempted to lose their faith. You know, what influences are around them constantly? You know, and if the devil can get somebody who's in a prominent position, or in a position of where people idolize that person, you know, he's always working hard. So pray for those people. Um, Peter did this during Rome's persecution with a letter encouraging those who can and who are nearby to encourage one another. Um, and this is the great comfort we have. Peace to all of you who are in Christ Jesus. And we can go with that peace, knowing who it is that's in control, who it is that loves us, that we are chosen in him, and that we are forgiven in love. So let's close our time together, our lesson eight of eight. With our closing prayer, we'll sing it together. Uh, Christian Worship 452, Let Us Ever Walk with Jesus, verse 2. Let us suffer here with Jesus, to his image air conform. Heaven's glory soon will please us, sunshine follow on the storm. 
Though we sow in tears of sorrow, we shall reap in heavenly joy, and the fears that now annoy shall be laughter on the morrow. Christ, I suffer here with thee. There, O share thy joy with me. Thank you for watching Invisible Church, and God bless your day.